Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and encouragement to your life. For a list of messages, to stream live services, and for updates about events and more info, visit lifechurchroa.org. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. All right, we're starting a new series today called Gate Smashers. So look at your neighbor and say, you're a gate smasher. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're a gate smasher. All right, just making sure everybody's awake this morning. I'm going to need you talking back to me today a little bit, okay? Because uh, if not, we're going to have a problem. Now, some of you guys, when I say talk back, it's a whole different version of talk back. I ain't talking to you. I don't want you guys to talk back. I want you to just you, preach with me today is what I want, okay? I don't want you to tell me everything I'm doing wrong, all right, Steve? I'm just messing with you, man. Hey, listen, we're going to start a new series today. I want you to hear the series big idea. I know it was just on the video, but I want you to hear it. I want you to kind of internalize it just a little bit. You ready for this? Have you ever felt like all you do is defend yourself against attack after attack? Anybody ever felt like, can you just, can you feel that today a little bit? Like things have just come at you and at you and at you and at you. Like you can't catch your breath as blow after blow is leveled against you. And it's because we have an enemy of our soul who will do whatever it takes, whatever. He has no respect for you, okay? If you think for one second that he's gonna back off just a little bit because of any reason whatsoever other than Jesus Christ, you are wrong, He does not want you to reach your family. He does not want you to have joy in life. He does not want you to have eternity with God. And so he is not gonna let up blow after blow. He's gonna come after you. He will do whatever it takes to destroy us in our world. Scripture tells us this. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. So blow after blow, he's gonna come after you. He's gonna come after us. In this series, here's what we're gonna explore, the true nature of our spiritual battles. We're gonna discover the rules of engagement for the war that we're in. We're gonna take a look at what it means to be God's people. What it means when he says that this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. That ought to get somebody excited in this place. That ought to get you excited because it doesn't matter what the enemy does, even if he comes after us blow after blow, Jesus says, you're mine. He isn't talking about this building is his. Right, We got trustees that, that sit in the ownership of our assets. He's not talking about our assets. He's talking about you. He says, my church, I will build my church. He will build us, you and me as individuals and nothing that comes against you. No stronghold in your life. No attack that comes after you is enough to take you out. I will build, Jesus says, my church. I want you to hear the ownership in that this morning. I will build my church. And there isn't a stronghold. There isn't an enemy. There isn't anything that will stand in its way. The church, not the building, us. We're not a defensive place made up of bricks and mortar, but an offensive body made up of gate smashers and freedom fighters who are meant to go be church and live with the implications of the gospel. If you've been here for the last few months, you're hearing things over again in reference to how all this connects. 
If we're going to be gate smashers, we got to go be church. If we're going to go be church, we got to understand their implications to accepting the gospel. And so as we get into this new series, we got to get out of the headspace that we go to church. And we have to pay attention to what we've been talking about. It isn't about going to church. It's about going and being church. It's about being in a world that has strongholds that the enemy has set up and gates that have to be kicked down because there are people who need us to kick down the gates, go in and snatch them from their bondage, pull them out of what hell has decided that they need and bring them into the presence of Jesus. It's not my word. This is what Jesus told the disciples about his church. I'm not telling you anything Jesus didn't tell you. If you think I'm going to get up here and preach something brand new, you're wrong. I'm just going to preach what Jesus said because he did it better than I ever could. We are gay smashers and freedom fighters. That's what he's called us to be. That's what he wants us to be. And as we dig into this today and over the next few weeks, I'm hoping, and it's my prayer, that the Holy Spirit opens up our minds and our eyes to the spiritual world, the battle that is raging And how everything that we go through, everything that we go through, good, bad, and and everything in between can be used for the glory of God. Can be seen as an understanding that we have been given power and authority through Jesus Christ. It's not my power, it's not my authority. But I get to exercise in it because he gave it to me. Amen? All right. Uh, so here's how we're going to get into this. Here's, here's, here's the big idea for today. That was the series. I want to get into today's message. The church of Jesus Christ is on the offensive and must stop pretending like we're on the defensive. We have the ball and you got to run. You ever been at a kid's sporting event where the kid gets the ball and they don't know what to do with it? Anybody ever seen that? They get the ball and they just don't know what to do because maybe they never get the ball. When I, I, I remember, I love, there's nothing better than watching the big guy on the football field who never touches the ball get the ball, right? The big guy who's only there for blocking for other people who have the ball. You know what I'm talking about? Like I never got to touch the ball on a football field, ever. If I touched the ball, coach would yell at me, okay? You ain't supposed to touch the ball. You're supposed to hit people. That was my job. Okay, I'm hitting people. I wasn't very good at it, so I didn't play very long. Okay, I don't get to touch the ball. I'm not like, not like Eli. Eli gets to touch the ball. He's a, he's a star. He gets to touch the ball and run with it. He knows what to do with the ball. If I pick up the ball, I'm not sure which way I'm supposed to run because my job is to hit people. I've been in sporting events where this has happened where somebody fumbled the ball. Somebody was supposed to have the ball fumbled it and somebody picked it up and didn't know what to do with it. And all of a sudden, what do you see the coach doing on the sideline? He's over there, run! Right? And the guy's just standing there kind of in shock. I don't, I've never touched a football before. I don't know what to do with this thing. What am I supposed to do? And the coach is like, go! And now all the guys are right beside him, pushing him along, and he takes off. And, and big guys don't run fast, okay? But they're hard to take down. Come on. And so they take off, 
with the ball. They got the ball tucked in. They don't even know how to tuck it in, but they got it tucked in like a baby. This thing ain't going nowhere, okay? And and, and as long as somebody's telling them which way to run, they're going to run that way. Otherwise, they're going to go the wrong way. All right, and there's nothing better than watching that person who didn't know what to do with the ball when they got it drag 30 people along with them because they're the big guy and you can't take the big guy down, right? And they, they cross the line. Anybody, have you ever seen this happen? It, listen, I've, I don't cheer for football. Super, I love football, but I don't like get super excited and cheer in the house and that kind of stuff, except when a big guy gets the ball, Okay. When somebody who is supposed to be smashing through people gets the ball and understands what to do with it, or at least is willing to listen to the coach who's jumping on the sideline, telling him to run, he gets past the end zone with the ball. He drops the ball and you'll never see a better dancing celebration than you will when the guy who gets the ball scores a touchdown. Can I tell you a secret? Are you ready? This is a big one. When Jesus died and rose again, he came back and spent some time with his disciples and he handed them the ball. He had, I know sports analogies, pastors, it's overused. You gotta go with me because it's all I got today. It's been a busy week. This is what I got. And Jesus is now standing on the sideline right beside God. And he's saying, and a lot of times we're staring at the ball in our arms and we don't know what to do with it and Jesus just wants to see the guy who has the ball score a touchdown now if you're offended by everything I just said because the thing you're hanging on to is that now I've called you a big guy with the ball The altars will be open later today, (laughs) okay? I want you to hear what I really said. Jesus handed the ball. Here's the really cool part. He did it way before he died and rose again. Right before he begins to move to Jerusalem towards towards his death, he hands off the ball. And that's where we're gonna start reading today, okay? So if you have your Bibles, and you should because you're at church, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up there. But if you have your Bibles... Turn to Matthew chapter 16. And when you're there, I want you to shout out gate smashers. Some of y'all said it. I want you to shout it. Gate smashers. There you go. All right. If you need a minute, say, slow down. Oh, I heard somebody say slow down, so I'll wait just a second. I got a timer on me, though, and last week I got in trouble for going over so so long. I didn't really get in trouble. All right, here we go. Matthew chapter 16. We're starting verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. I'm gonna read from the NIV today. That's not normal for me. Normally I'm reading from the NLT when I'm up here today. It's the NIV. So if you're, if you're, uh, if, if, if you're wondering where my NLT is, NIV kind of gets this one and pushes it a little bit further for me today. Here we go. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Now, I want to stop here. Make sure you understand. His disciples knew what he was asking here. He was asking, who do people say I am? 
okay? He asked it this way because son of man was a normal way for him to refer to himself. The disciples understood that. We need to understand Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? Okay? And they replied because they're, they, they understand. They've been listening. They've been paying attention. They say, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus kind of stops him and he, and, and it was all just kind of a ruse to get to the real question, right? He says, who do people say I am? What's the world say about me? And they answer and they give the answer for the world. And then he stops them and he says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter, never one to back down from a challenge, answers, you are, and you got I need you to go here with me, Okay. Peter didn't just whisper this. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. Peter wanted everybody to know what his answer was. He says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he says it with authority and he says it like he knows what he's talking about. Have you ever met somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about but says things like they know what they're talking about? I tell people when they read the Bible, when they first start reading the Bible and they're reading out loud, say the names with authority and everybody else will think they're wrong, right? Until you learn how to pronounce names. I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't learn how to pronounce. I'm saying if, you, if somebody says, hey, I want you to read this scripture and you end up in a genealogy, come on. Somebody doesn't like you if you end up in a genealogy, okay? But here's what happens. You say it with authority and everybody's like, oh, that's how you say that name. <laughs> I get it now. Peter says it with authority around all the disciples. He says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Living, that's a key, key phrase there. Son of the living God. Jesus replied, I love Jesus' response. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, now, now remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The first thing Jesus did when he met Peter was rename him. His, his name was Simon. Peter says, or Jesus says, I'm gonna call you Peter. I'm gonna call you Pebble. I'm gonna call you Rock, Little Rock, okay? Not like Dwayne Johnson, Big Rock. I'm gonna call you Little Rock. I'm gonna call you Pebble. That's gonna be your name. Okay, and so Jesus, after he says this, after Peter says this, says, uh, you're Peter, you're the rock, okay? You're, you're a pebble, but on this rock, and he uses a different word, it means a bigger rock, okay? So when he says, you're Peter, he says, you're, you're, you're like a small rock, but on this rock, Jesus, myself, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. That's weird, but we're not gonna get there today. We'll get there throughout this, this series, but I want you to hang on to that. He tells them not to tell anybody, which is kind of weird because here in a little bit, he's gonna tell them to tell everybody. He's gonna give them the ball, okay? So here's the big question, Okay. Who do you say I am? This question echoes through all of history from the moment it escaped Jesus's lips to every disciple of Jesus Christ. And it matters because 
the moment that you confess Jesus as the Messiah, things begin to get shaken up a little bit. Things, your life begins to get changed a little bit. Because then he's going to confess you. What, what does he do to Peter? As soon as Peter says it, he says, Peter, you're blessed. Let me tell you what's about to happen. I'm gonna build my church and every defensive strategy that the enemy uses is not gonna work because you're gonna be a gate smasher. I'm gonna give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and anything that you loose here on earth will be loosed in heaven. Anything that you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven. I'm gonna give you some authority. I'm gonna give you something that has never been given before because nobody else had them to give. Peter's confession of Jesus led to a revelation by Jesus for his church. Your confession of Jesus will always lead to a revelation. It will always lead to a revelation that you are a gate smasher and a freedom fighter and that you are to go be his church in a world that absolutely needs it. This question reverberates. It's still a question that you have to answer. But before we dig into the question, I wanna set the stage a little bit more. I'm setting the stage for the whole series, okay? For the next five weeks, this is gonna be important. So I wanna bring you into what's happening. Caesarea Philippi was about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee where most of Jesus's ministry was centered. 25 miles, he takes him out of the way to have this conversation. If I said, hey, I want you to meet me in Blacksburg and then we talk about stuff here in Roanoke, here at the church that we could have talked about at the church, you might not be super happy with me, especially if I don't take you to a nice restaurant, okay? I just wanna meet you in Blacksburg instead of here, but we're gonna talk about here. This is what Jesus does. He says, we're gonna go 25 miles through the wilderness, through the desert and dangerous road, rocky terrain and crazy stuff that could happen. And we're gonna talk about what I'm going to do when he could have done that at the Sea of Galilee. Okay, but Jesus always has a purpose. He's a master teacher. This was a pagan city at the foot of Mount Hermon where most people believe that the transfiguration happened. Okay, most scholars believe that Jesus, the transfiguration of Jesus was on top of this mountain right after this event. And so they're standing in Caesarea Philippi. It's a pagan nation. It was a city of mostly Gentiles because Jews wouldn't be caught dead there except for Jesus because he's like that. Okay, Jesus goes places no, no other Jew would go. And the reason nobody would go there is because it was a center for pagan worship. It wasn't just that there was a bunch of pagans there. It was actually a place where they came and worshiped. World, people from around the world came. The known world would come to this place and worship. There was, this was an impressive city. And it was near a huge spring that comes out of a cave and one of the main sources of the Jordan River. This area was not only a hot spot for idol worship during Jesus' time, but had been for many years. In fact, if you go back into the Old Testament, you're gonna, you can read about a king named Jeroboam who set up a golden calf there for the northern tribes of Israel to worship. There's been idol worship in this place for years. This sermon for another day, but let me tell you a secret. What you worship now will impact generations later. What you worship in your family right now is going to forever impact generations. If you worship at the feet of addiction, 
it's going to impact your family. You think it might just be you? It's not. If you worship at the feet of your finances, it's going to impact your family for generations to come. It's a sermon for another day. Now I'm just meddling, but I wanted you to hear it because that's what happens here. Later in history, the Greeks take this place over and it becomes a key place of worship for the god Pan. He's a fertility god. Pan was a half-human, half-goat-like creature. And in fact, it was the, na- it, it, the city was named after this god uh, at first. It was called uh, Panion or Panis. But later, the Romans took it over and renamed it Caesarea Philippi after Caesar. Okay? But they kept the false god worship there. So when Jesus took his disciples, there were five main areas of worship all connected to each other and connected to false gods that took place. The first was this, uh, there was a temple to Herod the Great, or that Herod the Great built, excuse me, to Augustus Caesar. So it was a worship place of Caesar. And we start with that, and we'll, I'll show you some pictures here in just a minute, but I'm gonna tell you all about it first. Then there was a courtyard of worship for Pan, and there were statues all up this mountainside of this goat-like God, hum, human and goat God that they worshiped. There was a temple dedicated to the false god Zeus at that time. There was two other places called the Upper Temple, Upper Tomb Temple of the Dancing Goats and the Lower Tomb Temple of the Dancing Goats. This was a worldwide place for people to come and worship false gods, especially if they were trying to have better crops. Now, the backdrop of all of these places, the, the temple to Caesar, the temple to Zeus, the, the altar to Pan, and these other places was a mountainside that had a big cave in the back, right behind the temple to Caesar. Let's go ahead and show a picture, a couple of pictures here. This is modern day. This is what this looks like. You can see the big cave there in the background, the mountainside. I want you to, you, you can't see it, but I want you to imagine all these temples and all these people here worshiping. This was a big deal. And Jesus was bringing his disciples here. Go ahead and go to the next picture. We're just gonna keep, I'm gonna just show you some pictures of it so you can imagine it. Here's another aerial shot. I want you to look at that cave. That cave is important to what Jesus tells his disciples. Keep going. This is just a close-up shot of that cave. And right in front of this cave would have been where the temple to uh, Caesar would have been. And right to uh, the right of that is where the, the uh, altar to Pan was. Keep going. Keep, keep going through. This is what it might have looked like during that time. And then this is it with it all labeled. And I want you to keep that up for just a second. I want you to take a look at this. I want you to understand the backdrop of, what, of where Jesus is saying this. Sometimes we don't get all the context of, of what's happening because we don't understand the place. Okay? And so you have the cave entrance, you have the temple, you have up in front of this, there would have been places for people to just sit and rest because of all the travel. There was a spring that ran out from the cave and ran down into the city that people would set at and, and, and just get cool, be cooled off in the day. This was a place where people came to worship. It was a place where they came to rest. It was a place where they came to give sacrifice to their gods. And Jesus brings his disciples here and not one place do you see 
worship of their God. Not one place in this do you see worship of the God that they serve. You can go ahead and go to the title slide. This was a huge deal. Now that cave that you saw, that cave was known as the gates to the underworld. The gates to Hades, the gates to hell. Now, why is it important for us to know that? Because Jesus is gonna tell the disciples what? There isn't a gate that hell can put up that can withstand what, you're about to, what we're about to do to them. And he's standing in front of this place where all of this pagan worship is happening, where there's this cave where the literally called the gates of hell. And he's having this conversation. Doesn't that change the conversation for you a little bit? When you know that this is happening, 25 miles out of the way. It's important to this moment that we understand the depravity of what was happening here. They were sacrificing children here. Throwing them into the cave like nothing. They were, there was lewd actions happening between humans and humans and animals and humans all over this place. It would have been disgusting for a Jew to, be a, to even be in this city. Yet Jesus brings his disciples here to teach them a lesson. To hand them, to begin handing the ball to them. He wanted to bring them to the place that they would see as the worst place in the world. It represented the worst Satan and sinful humanity had to offer. Idol worship. This is the backdrop for Jesus' big question and even bigger reveal. Jesus doesn't just ask a question. He reveals an incredible truth. The disciples and any Jew for that matter would would have been super uncomfortable in this place. Not only uncomfortable, but a little annoyed that he made them walk two days to get there. Yet, he's a master teacher. And using this as a backdrop, the place that's known for pagan worship, the place that's called the gates of Hades, he says, who do you say I am? He doesn't ask this because he's having an identity crisis. He asked this question because he was leading them to a more important question to a more important point and the question is who are they going to be in reference to him are they going to run with the ball are they going to take off and go see the question placed in front of us today is the same question who do we say he is Its answer is more of a reflection on us than it is on Jesus. If we really believe Jesus is who he says he is, it will affect the way we live. The gospel has implications. It has to transform me. It has to transfigure my relationships. And it has to transcend the ways of the world. I can't act like the world. I was teaching a class yesterday to some new ministers. It was ministerial ethics. Do you know that the TV watching habits of Christians are exactly the same as that of the world? Statistically, exactly the same. We watch the same thing. Do you know the language that Christians use? Same thing. We're not acting any different. 
But if he is who he says he is, if we can answer the question, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, then there has to be implications to the gospel. We have to go be the church. We have, to, we have to be the church. Choose trust, create excellence, capture heart, cast vision, coach replication, clear change, and carry value. If you haven't been here the last few weeks, those are weird sayings to you. Go back and watch them. LifeChurchRA.org, click sermons and go to Go Be Church. Because that's how we go be church. Jesus asked his disciples this question and he asked the same for us. Never one to shy away, Peter jumps in and he says what he says and his response brings about a revelation from Jesus. He said in verse 18, I tell you that you're Peter and on this rock I will build my, my church. Jesus says my church. This is the first time the word that we translate as church is used in scripture in the New Testament. It's not even a religious word. It simply means a group or a called out group. More important than the word, though, that he uses is the fact that it's his. He uses my church, the ownership of it. Jesus said, it's my church. And look look at what else he says. He says, he'll bring his people together. I will build. He'll bring his people together. It's not a mistake you're here today. If you call this place home, it's not a mistake. This is your home church. You're called here as much as I'm called here as the pastor. If you think it's just as easy, if that, that it's easy enough to just say, you know what, I'm gonna go somewhere else, you're wrong. You're called here for a reason, for such a time as this. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, which means he brought you here. Which means you're a part of his body here. Not because of me, not because of what we do or don't do, but because he's called you here. He goes on and he says, on this rock I will build. And he builds on a firm foundation, right? He's talking about himself here. He's not talking about Peter. He says, I'll build my church, something that belongs to him. He says, the gates of Hades will not overcome. And he builds it in an, he builds an offensive structure, not a defensive structure. Watch, watch this. I need you to follow with me. He says, the gates of Hades will not prevail, will not overcome. Let me tell you something about those gates. Gates don't move. Gates can't attack people. Gates can't come after us. But his church is, his church is supposed to go after the gates of hell and knock them down. He hands the disciples the ball and he's standing on the sideline screaming, go, run, run as hard as you can because the things in the world, these, these temples, that temple to Zeus you see, it's not gonna stand. Run after it. That temple to Caesar, not, not a thing. This sacrifice to ch- of children that they're doing, absolutely not, not gonna stand. Go after the gates, kick down the gates. There are people in there that need me. Go after them. See, for too long, we have, we have decided that we're gonna build the structures that protect Christians and protect people. But then we sit inside of them and never go out. We're not offensive. We, we're, not, we're, not, we, we're, we don't, we, we're defensive, right? We're waiting for the enemy to attack us and say, hey, I'm gonna go to church. I'm gonna get filled up so, I, so that when I go out, I can take care of, of whatever the enemy throws at me. No, 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 no. 
we come in here and get encouraged to go out there to knock down some gates. Jesus died, rose again, and in those three days put Satan and hell on notice. He said, I got to tell you, my church is coming after you. I'm going to hand him the ball. And I'm going to stand on the sideline. I'm going to say, run! Because there are people that need us to come after them, to come for them. Gates are not offensive things. They're defensive. They can't run. They can't come after you. But you can go after them. And that's exactly what Jesus says the church is supposed to do. Are you tracking? Are you following along with me here? How we've flipped the script and we've become defensive and we've said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna build up our buildings and we're gonna call it our church and we're gonna, we're gonna come here. But then when we go out in the world, we're kind of gonna leave people alone. Absolutely not. That isn't what Jesus says here. He looks at Peter and he says, you've got it. You understand what's going on here. I'm, now I'm gonna hand you the ball and you're gonna have to run hard. You're gonna have to go and knock down some gates right? It, it's, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, I don't know if any of you watch the, uh, the Marvel Avengers movies or any of that, but there's a moment where Hulk is like, they're, they're trying to get him under control and they can't get him under control the whole movie. He finally gets himself under control and now they need him to be the Hulk. So they look at him and say, smash. And he just, he turns into the Hulk. He takes off and he starts ripping these bad guys down off a building and throwing them all the way across the world. Jesus is looking at the disciples in this moment and he says, hey, we're here in, the, in the, the most terrible place that you could think of. We're in front of all of this pagan worship and he's saying, smash, go run, do something. And he's doing it all right before he's about to go to the cross. As soon as they leave this area, Jesus is gonna start making his way back to give up his life for you and me. We talk about being a gate smasher. We're talking about understanding that we've got to run with the ball that he's given us. Understanding that there is nothing, no stronghold that the enemy has put in place that can withstand what he's already done. Victory is already ours. So we got to quit living like we're defeated. The enemy hasn't defeated us. Is he fighting against us? You better believe it. If he's not fighting against you, that's when you better be worried. But the victory is already ours. Jesus said, my church is not on the defensive, but the offensive. It's the enemy that's holed up. It's the enemy that's building strongholds, attempting to keep his territory. It's the church that's been empowered to smash the gates and take back what the enemy has claimed as his own. You've got to run with the ball. That's our first truth for today. Quit playing defense. 1 Corinthians 9 says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it 
to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Let me tell you something about the big guy with the ball. He's never going to get another chance to score a touchdown. (laughs) Nobody's passing him the ball. So when he picks it up, he's running with intention, not aimlessly. The coach might be yelling, and when, he, when it finally clicks what he's supposed to do, he's not worried about what's behind him. He's got a goal ahead of him. This may be the only chance he has to get a touchdown to his name because his position doesn't touch the ball. He's not running aimlessly. You can't run aimlessly. If you're just going through life to get through life, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. Run hard. There's nothing that can stand in your way. You're his church. Don't stop running. Gate smashers know what to do with the ball. You can't wait until you're ready. Jesus tossed you the ball and you and I can't stand there. The second truth, worship team, go ahead and come, is this. Gate smashers, free people. We smash gates to save people. Look at what Jesus says in 19. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Gate smashers are not running or smashing for no reason. They are freedom fighters. Jude 1 verses 22 through 23, 20 through 23 says, but you dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Listen to this. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. That word, to snatch them from the fire, is almost violently It means to seize and to carry off by force. Here's the truth. When Jesus said, my church, he was talking about us. We are his church and our world has some strongholds that the enemy's built. You don't believe me? Listen to the list. I just came up with a small list. Some of you will have even more. Broken relationships. You think the enemy doesn't use broken relationships for generations to come? Part of our vision here at Life Church is to help people build relationships, marriages, and families that are strong and are not impacted by the, the earthquakes that come. Broken relationships are without a doubt a stronghold of the enemy. How about God not being allowed in schools? You want to talk about a stronghold that the enemy has, pornography. Highest trafficked websites in the world are of a pornographic nature. Statistically speaking, there's a large number of people in this room that are fighting that battle. It's a stronghold. It's a gate that the enemy has put up and he's holed up in there holding people captive. 
And as a church, we got to knock down some gates. Drugs, alcohol, identity issues. You think for one second the enemy isn't trying to trick every young person out in our world that their identity is not tied up in Jesus, but tied up in whatever they want it to be or whatever the world says about them? Any gate smashers, people who will pray for them, people who will fight for them, people who will free them. been driving through Roanoke recently, you've seen a number of signs that talk about human trafficking. Number of billboards that say things like, not on my watch, and it's a bus driver or a truck driver. It's a real thing that's happening right here in this city. You think that's not a stronghold? Think there's not some gates there that need to be kicked down? How about abortion? We're not too far as a society from where they were in their child sacrifices. Jesus is clear. We're gate smashers and freedom fighters. I'm not telling you to go be violent. That's not, that's not what this is. I'm telling you to run your race. Live like the church is supposed to live under the convictions of Jesus Christ with the implications of the gospel and watch how your world changes when you love people the way Jesus loved, when you serve the way Jesus served, when you challenge yourself the way that Jesus challenged. We don't fight the same way that the world fights. In fact, we're told that we don't fight against flesh and blood at all. This is a spiritual battle. And an incredible opportunity for us to show the world what it means to be the church. Our families, our friends, our co workers. Jesus started this conversation with a simple question Who do you say I am? but it led to a revelation of who his church was to be. I wonder today what your answer would be if Jesus was standing before you and he said, who do you say I am? Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Don't forget to visit us at LifeChurchROA on Instagram and Facebook for updates, service times, and ways to get involved. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, we would love to partner with you on your next steps. Visit lifechurchroa.org slash Jesus to learn more. We love you and we can't wait to see you soon.